0: So this morning, we have this theme. It's called You Belong Bigger and Beyond. And that's what I want to talk to you about. You Belong Bigger and Beyond. So before this whole COVID thing started, right, my family and I, we went on vacation. We took a little vacation, a little trip overseas and had had a good time, you know. um, Visit some restaurants that we don't have over here. Visit some stores that we don't have in here. We saw some stuff. And we pretty much just demolished the credit card. We just <laughs> destroyed it. Amen? That's what we do, right? Amen? No? Okay, that's just me. Yes? Be honest. God is good. But the thing is, right, so we went on this vacation, and it, it involved getting on a plane. So we had the flight. It was scheduled for a certain day. It was a certain flight. It was scheduled for a certain date, and it was leaving from a certain place, and it was headed to a certain place. And so... It was a specific plane, you know, it had had the specific number on it, and there was a certain crew. All of these particulars were there. Now, this particular flight has certain rules, as does pretty much every commercial flight that you would go on. So you can't smoke on the plane, you couldn't smoke on the plane, you have to obey the seatbelt sign, um, you have to pay for the Wi-Fi, unless you're a good hacker, other than that, you have to pay for the Wi-Fi. Now, I had a ticket for this flight, as did the rest of my family, but me, I had a ticket for the flight. So here's my point. I had a ticket for the flight, so I belonged on the flight. All right? I was accepted on the flight. When I went to the little desk thing, they took my passport, they said, beep, and I got to go through. Once I got to the plane, I was welcomed on the flight. Good morning, so thank you for flying American Airlines. We hope you enjoy your flight, right? And then they show me where my seat is F-32, that's in the back on the left, right? So all of that was good. So I'm, I, I belong on the flight, I'm accepted, I'm welcome. But here's the thing, here's what I quickly realized. It didn't take me long to realize this, but it's a truth that is very important. Even though I belong on the flight, the flight wasn't about me. What I mean by that is the mission of the flight was bigger than me and my preferences. So. Yes, I would have preferred a better seat, first class preferably. No, I don't want to pay for it. I just want to sit there. I want to enjoy all the first class pleasantries. Yes, I do want a hot towel. And no, I don't know what it's for. But I want one. The first time I actually got the fly first class and they gave me the towel, I was looking and I said, I don't even know what to do Does someone do something quick? Do something quick. I'll just follow you. Just follow you. Just follow me. I would, have preferred, uh, I would have preferred the AC to be on a particular setting. Sometimes it's a little too cold. Sometimes it's a little too hot. It's like they could never get it right on the airplanes. I would have preferred free Wi-Fi. Yes, in-flight movies would have been great. Yes, I want an actual big bite of popcorn, and may I please have a whole soda, because this little cup ain't really working for me. I's a big man. Amen? Hey, thank you. Give me soda in a kitty cup. What I look like? Come on, man. And then you won't put ice in it? One soda, they give me one soda give six people, one soda. <laughs> so I would have preferred better snacks and more comfortable seats. But they that, that really didn't matter because the flight wasn't about me. Their mission was to get me from point A to point B with a certain level of comfort. My preferences wasn't a big priority. And here's here's the thing. Here's how I knew the flight wasn't about me. Because whether I showed up or not, the plane was leaving. They might have called me on the big speaker. Party for Smith, party for Smith. Could you please come to come to the desk? They might have done that like twice. But once time was up, they were leaving. They were leaving on that plane, on the time that they said they were going, going to the place that they said they was going, because here's the thing, even though I had a ticket, so I belonged on the flight, the flight was not about me. You see, I was on the passenger list, so the plan included me, but it was bigger than me. It was beyond me. We get to be a part of something, but the choice is ours. And don't think that you're too big to be replaced. Because even if you miss your flight, it's like 16 people on standby waiting to take your seat. It's bigger than you. It's beyond you. In the book of Esther, when you read the beginning, the book opens with, with King Xerxes. He's having a party. This dude do a good party. An 180-day party. That's tight. I, just, like, I don't know how you party that long. So he's having a party for all his nobles and officials, and he's basically having a party to show off. Just to say, yo, check me, out, check out all my stuff, check out what I could do. And they're eating the best stuff, the best food, drinking the best wine. Hello? Oh, that's better. Amen. Praise the Lord. So they're eating the best food and drinking the best wine. And in the meantime, Queen Vashti, she's hosting the women and they're doing the same thing. They're partying, man. They're eating the best food, drinking the best wine, eating the best food. So they didn't have regular corned beef. They had corned beef with potatoes in it. They didn't have regular rice. They was eating jasmine rice. So they, they was wiling out. They was doing it big. And in the middle of the party, Queen Xerxes decides, hey, I want everybody to see my beautiful wife. She's fine. I want everybody to just, just look at her, just, just, just admire my trophy wife. And so he sends for her. He sends for Queen Vashti to say, come, and make sure you bring your crown. Bring your crown. Don't come without the crown. I want you to come, and I just want you to be here so these other men can look and gawk at you. That's, that's what I want to happen. And Queen Vashti does the unbelievable right. What, what does she do? She says, No. She says, I'm, I'm not coming, right? She says, I'm not coming. And so um, King Xerxes is livid, right? This is a man who has conquered territories. He has, he has killed many a people. He is, you don't tell him no. And so God forbid that a woman that he's married to would have a mind of her own. <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, you're Quiet. <laughs> And so the guys around him are like, no, 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 so this can't go like that because what happened? If the other women in the town catch rid of this, they could be telling their husband no too. And then you could have a town full of women with mine of their own. Chaos. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. So he says, deal with this, you need to deal with this. You need to make an example of us so these women don't get out of hand. They need to know that you are the king, you're in charge, what you say goes. And so King Xerxes strips Queen Vashti of her crown. You, you, you're not the queen anymore, you need, go away. And so he now has to replace her. So he, they go on a mission to find a new queen. And so he sends his boys out to all of the different provinces of, 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 the, of the area that he is over, and he says, "You know, I need, I need the, the finest women. I need you to bring me the finest women so I can choose from because I need a queen to replace Vashti. And so they go out with the purpose of getting these women and bringing them back and now would be a good time to have an ugly daughter. Say amen if you have an ugly child. That's good, you're all good. You're good, amen, that's good. And so they go out and they get all of these women, beautiful women, of which includes So they pretty much get gathered up for an interview, so to speak. And so one by one, they're going to see Xerxes and he's going to make a decision on who really makes the cut. Who fits the bill? Who do I want by my side? Who do I want wearing the crown calling queen? I need someone who looks beautiful, who don't say too much, who don't back talk and who can come when I send for them. That's, that, that's basically what he wants. So I don't know if he really wants a queen or a dog. <laughs> I'm, not really, I'm not really sure. But nonetheless... <laughs> So all of these women go in and Esther has her turn and pretty much almost immediately King Xerxes is like, I want her. Like she's the one. He's struck by her beauty and he, and he, and he, and he makes her queen to make a long story short. And around the same time, Mordecai you know, um, catches wind of a plot for uh, these men who were pretty close to the king. They wanted to kill him and Mordecai snitches. He tells the king what's going on. Uh, These these guys get caught, they get killed, and Mordecai pretty much gets a promotion. But at around the same time, this other guy named Haman gets a promotion, right? And he pretty much goes to second in charge. He's like the prime minister. And so his his title is so big, he's so important, that when he comes to work, the other officials are required to bow to him. Imagine that. Every time your boss comes to work, you have to bow. You Only imagine it. (laughs) good Lord Mordecai said I'm not bowing now the text doesn't tell us why Mordecai decided not to bow it could be because he was a devout Jew and he decided he wasn't bowing to anyone except God we don't know we could assume that but we really don't know the point is he said no I'm not bowing to you it could be that he just simply didn't like Haman and never did like you even before he was in charge so I ain't bow to you now whatever the case he doesn't bow Haman is upset. He's upset, and he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, so he doesn't want to just deal with Mordecai. He wants to get rid of all the Jews. Remember now, Esther is a Jew, too. Because, you see, Esther is Mordecai's cousin. He raised her as his own, because she lost her family, but they're his cousin, and they're both Jews. Here's the thing. So Haman goes into Xerxes and devises this plan and gets Xerxes to agree with it to pretty much slaughter every Jew, and so on a set day in about a year in the future, they were going to actually have the original purge where they would just kill every Jew in the area that they lived. Mordecai finds out about the plan and he goes into mourning. He's sackcloth and ashes and he's on the ground and he's making noise, one bunch of weeping, one bunch of wailing. And he sends a message to Esther, who's now the queen, and he says, Esther, you gotta, you gotta help us. You gotta go into Xerxes and convince him to change his mind. You gotta tell him that this can't happen. You can't just slaughter a race of people just because you could slaughter a race of people. He says, Esther, you gotta help. And so Esther sends a message back to Mordecai. saying, say, um, I'd love to help, but... As you well know, nobody goes into the king uninvited. You don't just show up. If you try it out, you could end up losing your head. I, I can't do that, and plus he hasn't sent for me for like 30 days. Esther says, I can't do it. Esther 4, 13 and 14, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not imagine that you are in the king's palace that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Mordecai says, don't get it twisted, sweet girl. Don't think just because you opened the palace that you're gonna be safe. Don't be fooled. It Says you're one of us. Just because you're queen doesn't mean you're not one of us anymore and you're just as much in danger as us. But here's the thing, God has given you an opportunity to be one of us and take up for one of us. Now the thing is, God is already destined for us to be okay. This is what he's saying. This is what Mordecai basically said. The Jews as a people, we're going to be all right. God has already promised us that. Now it's up to you to decide whether you're going to be a part of this or not. But even if you don't, because this is bigger than you, help will arise from someplace else. And so what I'm saying to you is God has already promised an end to the church. Our fate is sealed. We win. We win. The question is, are you gonna be a part of it? Are you gonna be obedient within that context and do what God wants you to do, realizing that this thing, this church thing is bigger than you and beyond you, or are you gonna let someone else arise? Because at the end of the day, the mission is gonna get complete. At the end of the day, the plane is gonna go from point A to point B, Ready? you on it or not. The choice is yours. And this is what Mordecai is telling Esther. Esther, you belong to us. You are a Jew just like us. But you need to realize, Esther, you need to get it right and understand that this thing here, what God has planned, it is bigger than you. It is beyond you. The church faith is sealed. But we need to realize, you and me, need to realize that this thing here is bigger than us. It is beyond us. We belong to the church. You, 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 you were born again believer, you belong to the church. But you don't run the church. So how do we balance this, right? Because whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're ugly, whether you're good looking, smart, dumb, strong, weak, it really doesn't matter. Like I said, if you're a born again believer, you belong to the church. As a whole, the worldwide church, right? You belong. If God sent you to the evangelistic temple, then you belong to this local assembly, to this church specifically. You belong. However, the truth is, it's not about us. And so how do we balance these two realities that I belong to the church. I belong here. I'm supposed to be here, but it's not about me. The focus isn't on me. This thing is bigger than me, and it's beyond me. I think Esther, after Mordecai sent those strong words back to, I think she got it. And verse 16, I think it shows us that she got it. it it's something snapped, something clicked, and she was able to get it. And here I want us to look at what she does so we can tell whether we got it or not. Because some of us aren't really sure if we got it. We're not sure because it's usually two extremes when it comes to this thing. Either we don't think that we belong because someone or some organization, some church has made us feel like we don't belong because they have these extra biblical stuff, these things that we don't fit in, these categories, these boxes that, that have nothing to do with the word of God that we don't quite fit in and so they tell us like we don't belong, they, they, they run us, they tell us go away. Right, so it's either that or or we realize that we do belong but we think that it's all about us. Sometimes we have these extremes and none of those extremes are correct. So how do we know when we've found the balance? Esther does some things in verse 16, it says this, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus, I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Here's how you tell. The first thing Esther does is, what is, is the first thing that we need to do. If we are going to show or if our life is to a place where we get it. Here's the first thing she does. She does the necessary thing. She says, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. Prayer is the necessary thing. She says, we need to pray. I need to pray. And this is important because I believe, personally, I believe when we don't pray, or people who don't pray are arrogant. I believe you're arrogant. Regardless of what comes out of your mouth, regardless of what you believe about yourself, personally, I think you're arrogant, and here's why. Here's what arrogant means. It means having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. That's what arrogance is, but here's what prayer is. Prayer is acknowledging, firstly, that God exists, but not only that God exists, but acknowledging that we need him. Prayer is acknowledgement that we need God. This is why God says, ask of me. This is why he says, don't worry, but instead pray. This is why he says, you have not because you ask not. What God is saying is, you need me. But the way you access me is through prayer. And so for us, failure failure is equi- failure to pray is equivalent to telling God, I don't need you. That's arrogance. It is total, absolute arrogance. How are you gonna How are you gonna get through life on your own, right? How are you gonna overcome the hurdles on your own, right? No, your neighbor can help you, right? No, my wife or my husband can help me, right? I have a dog who's loyal. <laughs> Failure to pray is arrogance, but Esther isn't there. Esther isn't arrogant. Immediately after Mordecai's message gets there, she gets it and she says, guys, this thing uh, requires prayer. She says that this is bigger than me. She says, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. So she recognizes two things. The first thing she recognizes is that the solution is beyond her reach. Immediately she calls for prayer because she recognizes that the solution to this problem is bigger than her. It is beyond her. But the second thing she recognizes is that her God is not. The solution is beyond her reach, but her God is accessible. The two realities she recognizes, sometimes we stop at realizing that the problem is beyond our reach. Don't stop there. Go to phase two and recognize that your God is bigger than the problem. And so we pray. says pray. Esther understands that prayer is necessary. She understands the power of prayer. How and why, I'm not sure. It could be because she was raised by Mordecai, a devout Jew, and so she, maybe she prayed regularly. Maybe he taught her the power of prayer in word and example. Maybe she had prayed for things in, in the past and God had come through. Or maybe it's, it's because, simply because she was a Jew and she was aware of the story. She was aware of how God had delivered his people the same way that we are well aware of the story of the Israelites being delivered out of Egypt. We know the story, Moses goes in, has a talk with Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, you can go, and then he changes his mind, and God, and in all his power and all his majesty decides, I'm gonna allow my people to walk across the Red Sea on dry land, so he parts the waters and they go through, and then he brings it back together and kills the entire Egyptian army. We like that, we preach that, we read that scripture over and over. Even in Sunday school, we have the kids, color the little pictures. And so we know. But here's what we don't often talk about. That miraculous thing was birthed by prayer. Exodus three and nine. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressed them. That cry of the Israelites, that's prayer. Under, Esther understood that prayer is gonna get the attention of God. Esther understood, I need help, so I need to call God. Those do two things for the believer go together. I need help, and so I need God. There's a popular show, I don't even know if it's still on. I know it used to be popular, it's called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And so you had to answer these questions that got progressively harder as the rounds went on, and you would win more money, more money, and, and eventually if you get all the questions right, you win one million dollars. I wanna go on the British version because you get one million pounds. It Seems like a better deal to me. Nonetheless, on the show, they had something called lifelines. And one of these lifelines was you could call a friend. Now the way this works is, if you got to a place where you were stuck, you didn't know the answer brother Mike, mic, so you couldn't get to the next level, what you had the ability to do is phone a friend. You could call them up and the friend would answer the phone. They give you the answer, you give the host the answer. Yeah, you win. But you know what some people would do sometimes? They wouldn't call a friend. They say, I think I'm going to guess this one. Brother Donna, and that's what they say. I'm going to guess. And then they lose. And if losing wasn't bad enough, you lose without even calling a friend? You leave the lifeline? How stupid could you be? And sometimes we stupid. I've been stupid like that. I've been stupid, stupid. Because I've been in places in my life where I'm stuck. I, I can't get to the next level, not on my own. I don't know the answer. Even if it's multiple choice, I still don't know. And I don't call a friend. And we have this access to always call a friend. There's a friend named who? Oh, I got a church in here this morning. So call a friend. That's what Esther said. Esther's saying, I don't know the answer, bro. So let's call a friend. And she says, here's two two things she says. She says that my people need to pray for me. She says, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Esther understood that I belong to the Jews. I can count on them. I belong to them, this is bigger than me. So y'all get together, pray and fast for me. She understood that when, when, when brothers and sisters pray and fast for each other, the miraculous happened. Just like when Peter was in prison. The Bible says the church prayed for Peter. They prayed for him, Esther's saying pray for me. They prayed for Peter because he was shackled and he could not free himself. He was imprisoned and could not free himself so the church prayed for him because he belonged to the church. But it didn't stop there and Esther doesn't stop there. She not only says, pray for me, she says, I need you to pray with me. She says, and I and my maidens also will fast the same way. Esther understood that there is a special power in corporate prayer that doesn't just happen when people only pray for you. When you join in with them and you join their faith together, it even more happens. This is why when the 120 in the room were praying together, then God shows up. When they prayed for her, the miraculous happened, when they prayed with her, God will show up that's what she's believing she says like, we need to do the necessary thing the necessary thing is prayer prayer for, for me prayer with me and so my, 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 my question is if have we come to the place have we come to the place where where we, we we realize that we belong but it's bigger than us where we can pray for each other or we can ask for prayer without shame are, are we to that place Are we to the place where we can come together and pray with each other? Can we do the necessary thing? Are we there? And the question is, if we're not, why not? See, Esther was the queen, but she wasn't always the queen. But she was a Jew before she was a queen, and she was a Jew after she became the queen. Understand the power of belonging. Whether you are royalty or regular, you belong. And when we realize that this thing, this church, this mission that God has given us is bigger and beyond us, then we graduate, guys. We graduate from just praying by ourselves and for ourselves to praying for each other and with each other. So I'm asking you to uh, give an analysis, give an evaluation of your prayer life. And which one is it? Um, Is is your prayer life all focused on you? Or is uh, is it focused on something that is bigger and beyond you? Which one is it? And the answer to that will let you know if you're there yet. How do you belong to something and not pray for it? You say that there's power in prayer. You say that things happen when you pray, but how are you a part of something and you're not praying for it? You're not getting together with other believers to pray for it. I, 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 I'm not rowing people who actually pray. I'm I, I with myself. Because we have to ask ourselves hard questions sometimes. And the worst thing about writing sermons is God has dealt with you first before you get the priesthood people spend more time repenting than writing the sermon? He says, do the necessary thing. And so all I'm saying is when we pray to God, right? When we pray to God, we say to God, I need you. And that's good. That's good. But when we get to a point where we pray for and rich each other, then we say, I got you. And that's necessary too. See, this, this, this relationship here, doesn't stop here. It comes here and it goes here. Goes here. This is why Jesus always connected love God with love your neighbor. He always connected the two. Because when this is genuine, this always happens right here. If this isn't happening, this isn't genuine. Jesus said that. How do you say you love me and hate your brother? where they do that at? Esther does the necessary thing. She says, get everybody together and let's pray. And not only does she do the necessary thing, she doesn't stop there, right? You would think that's, that's good enough. Esther goes a little bit further and she does the hard thing. She says, and thus I will go to the king which is not according to the law. I'm gonna break the law? For the sake of my people? For the sake of what's right? I'm gonna put it on the line. She says... I'm going to go before the king, which is not according to the law, which means people don't usually do it, which means I'm going to do the unusual thing. Esther says, I'm going to do the hard thing. I'm going to do the unusual thing. You see, nobody, like I said, nobody approached the king without being invited. And what I'm saying to us is, when you get to a place where the revelation of that you belong, but this thing, this church thing is bigger and beyond you, you don't just do what's expected of you, you do what's needed of you. Ah, I know you was going to get quiet there. What was expected of Esther was that she not approach the king. That was the expectation because that's what regularly happened. But uh, there there had come a time when there needed to be something different and this need required Esther to approach the king. And so she was able to separate that which was expected of her and that which was needed of her. And through the power of God, right, because she called for the prayer, she knows she would need the power of God and able to do it. She does the thing that is needed of her. Not what's expected, but what's needed. So sometimes, yes, you could preach, amen, praise God. We love that, but sometimes we just need you to sweep. Sometimes we just need you to sweep. So she does... Was needed. Queen Vashti was stripped of her crown. Esther was aware of this. She was stripped because she didn't come and now Esther is being forced to go to the king uninvited. Death was a real possibility. Esther 4 and 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death. Unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live, and I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. Esther, after Mordecai's rebuke now, is ready to do that which not only is unusual, she's ready to do that which is uncomfortable. You see, when Esther called her out and said, don't think because you live in the palace it's going to be okay, what he is saying is, get out of your comfort zone. You can't make your decisions based on what makes you comfortable, Esther. That's what he's saying. You can't make decisions based on what makes you comfortable. Because when we choose comfort over obedience, comfort becomes the idol. Comfort becomes your idol. You cannot, you cannot make decisions based on comfort. Imagine if all the great patriarchs, all the great men and women of the Bible made decisions solely on comfort. Mary wasn't going to have that that's for sure, and Jojo wasn't going to marry her, that's for sure, Paul wasn't be going on that mission, Paul writing letters say I go into a particular place, and I know I get in lockup, but I go in anyway, because it ain't about being comfortable, it's about being obedient, it's about doing the hard thing, Pastor Moses. I heard one thing, I don't even remember where I got it from, but I heard one thing one time, apparently, some famous preacher or something said it, it in in advising people in ministries, they say, go where you are uh, uh, appreciated, not tolerated. That is the most unbiblical thing I have ever heard in my entire life. You don't make moves when it comes to the work of God based on if people clap in for you or not. You make moves because God say, move. You stay because God say, stay. Whether they clap or not. And see, I come to this realization a long time. That's why I could say some of the things I say. Because whether y'all clap or not, if God give me instructions, I doing it, bro. Do the hard thing. And my question to us is, are we willing to do the hard thing for each other? Because Esther is willing to do the hard thing for her people. Are we willing to do the hard thing for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we? Are we willing to go outside of our comfort zone? I said this morning in the early service, and I'll say it again, some of these kids who come up here to participate on youth Sunday, they'd be scared out their mind. You all understand me? Out oh, there, are mine and I am so proud when they get up here to do whatever they do, however they do it because that win in itself is a victory. They are willing to do the hard thing and it's not for them because they're scared. It's for you. It's for you. Mordecai says, Esther, I, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to try to preserve your comfort and your false sense of security. That's, that's not, that's, and that's not what we ought to do, right? That's not the example Christ gives us. What is the example that Christ gives us? Philippians 2 and, 6, 2 and 6, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. I am willing to imagine, I am willing to guess, go out on a limb there and say with some level of confidence that Jesus was pretty comfortable in heaven. Like coming down here, putting on flesh, and hanging out with us? Heaven, earth, people, God. What one would you pick? It's pretty clear. But Jesus came to a situation that was uncomfortable for you and for me. He did the hard thing. He could have stayed. Steve Marbully says this, the right thing to do and the hard thing to do are usually the same. They're usually the same. When making a choice, usually the hard thing, more often than not, is the right thing. And so what does that mean for us? There are so many applications for for us, but one that that I want to give us is we need to, as the church, we need to stop trying to fit in with unbelievers at the expense of our witness. We need to be willing to do the hard thing. We need to stop being quiet when God says to speak, is what I'm saying. Esther wanted to stay quiet. Mordecai says, no, you're required to speak. Such a time as this, you, speak. And so we can't stay quiet when God says speak. We we, We are comfortable when the spiritual leaders go out in front, right, and speak. Truth to power when it comes to issues in society, right? But when the backlash comes, we don't really come and stand behind them. We kind of want to separate ourselves from them from a distance. Go, pastor. Go. Tell them that's right. Yeah, yeah pastor, you telling the truth? You ain't never lie. We don't wanna speak up, we don't wanna be quiet, why? Because that's gonna change the nature of our relationship with people who don't even care about us. That's, that's the amazing thing, right? We wanna be comfortable, we wanna stay in, in, in the cool zone, we don't wanna experience pressure, we don't wanna experience persecution. But here's the funny part about that, Here, here's the truth of the matter, once they come for one of us, they come for all of us. So it doesn't make sense trying to hide, separate yourself. Many members, one body. And that's what, uh, that's what Mordecai was telling Esther. Esther, you still want us. At the end of the day, they're gonna get you too. And so speak up. Students, live out your faith is what I'm saying. Speak up by the way you live. Speak up by the example you give your friends. Speak up on issues. Everybody else in the market get their opinion. Everybody else proud of everything that they do. Be proud and loud without apology. We all around apologizing people because they offended. I be offended all the time. you don't wanna less? Sometimes I be offended when y'all offended by me. What, what, what are we supposed to do? Not live? Not be able to speak? Because people are offended? Especially when God has told, told us to speak? No, don't do that. Live out your faith, students. Speak truth to power unapologetically, because I, I believe that you have a church that will back you. I know I will. I have a church that will be there to support you. You speak truth to power, and the principal call, call your parents. I want them to call me, because I come and do. All us can meet with the principal. Right, Sarah? Amen. got you. People don't just do the hard thing though, right? People don't just automatically get up and choose the hard thing on their own. Quite rarely does that ever happen. And and, and here's here's the thing, the the reason for that is if we are gonna successfully do the hard thing, the uncomfortable thing, the unusual thing, then we gotta have something else first. And that something else is we gotta have the right attitude. Here Esther says, if I perish, I perish. What are, you, what are you saying, PK? I'm saying you gotta have the right attitude and that right attitude is if I perish, I perish. So Esther is saying this, if I die, I die. This to me is the equivalent of Jesus saying that no man has greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. What is that in one word? That word is sacrifice. The question is, are we to a place where we realize that we belong, but it's bigger than us, so sacrifice comes natural to us? Sacrifice is actually a legitimate option. If I die, I die. How do you get to that point? How do you get to the point where you have the, the gall, where you have the, the, the bravery to say, if I die, I die? I believe it's two factors. Here's the first one. You gotta have the right influence. Esther had Mordecai as her influence. He willing to give it all up for God and he taught her that that's how you live for God. You give it all up. And you see Esther being obedient to Mordecai even after she became queen. She understood the principle. And we see it in Jesus, right? where his influence is the Father. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And both of these people are willing to sacrifice because of their influence It's taught them that this is how you actually live this life for God. You don't live a life from God absent or void of sacrifice. Jesus said, if you're not willing to do these certain things, you're not fit to be my disciples. And all of these certain things required you to give up everything. So you have to ask yourself, if I haven't given anything up, who exactly am I following? Hard question, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Influence. The second thing is you've got to have the right intentions. Esther's intention was to save her people. I'm going to go into the king. This is against the law. He's probably going to cut off my head. But God didn't just put me in the king's palace to sleep with the king. There was something bigger than this. There was something beyond that. And if it means that I must sacrifice everything to do that, then that's what it means to belong. And so I'm willing to do that. And see, Jesus is the same way. His intention was to save his people, Matthew 121. He will save his people from their sins. If I have to put on flesh, go down and live a perfect life, get beat up, spit on, then mock me, and then hang on the cross to save you who didn't even love me first, then I'm going to do that. Give me save these people for 800, Alex. daily double. So how do you know? How do you know when you get to the point when you have it? When you are ready, actually ready to, to, to understand that you belong but it's bigger than you, it's beyond you and so you, you know you have it. Here's how you know you have it. When you care more about what others gain than what you lose. That's how you know you have it. Hebrews 12 and 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him Endured the cross, despising the shame, and I sat down on the right hand of the Father. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. The joy set before him was your salvation. So he was more concerned about what you would gain over what he would lose. That should be our attitude in the context of the church. We don't make decisions based on only what I could get out of it. And we see it all the time. Students, let me get you for a minute. You can't just stop coming to youth group. (laughs) Because it ain't everything you want it to be. Because it isn't perfect. Because here's the thing. Even if it was perfect, when you showed up, you messed it up. When you showed up, you messed that sucker right up. Kill it. But we've gotta care more about each other than what they would you gain and what I gained. We've gotta to get to that point, brother. Not only that, you know you totally belong to something when you're willing to die for it. The Acts 20 and 28 says Jesus shed his blood for the church. No greater love does a man have than to lay down his life for his friend. You belong to the faith. Are you willing to die for me? Are you willing to die for me? And I ask the question is, is because, because it seems as though that's what Jesus asks of us. It seems as though, to me, that's what Jesus requires of us. And if we're willing to die for each other, which I feel that we should be, there's a law that comes into play. It's the law of greater the lesser. Here's what the law teaches. If you can live 100 pounds, then you can live 30. So if you're willing to die for me, then you should be willing to help me when I'm in need as well. If you're willing to die for me, you should be willing to sacrifice some other temporal things for me as well. Are you willing to die for the church, the church in general, and the church specifically? I'm saying is, if you're willing to die for the church, it can't be a situation where you forsake God because someone make you mad. You, you, can't, you can't do that. Not if you're willing to die for me. You can just leave me? I'm like, God? What I'm saying is, instead of looking at, at everything your church lacks, and, and here's, a, here's breaking news, this church lacks stuff. This church is imperfect. We have issues. I know some of y'all don't believe that, but take it from the inside scoop. And we have issues in the church because the church are made up of people who have Amen, I got a church in here this morning. But we shouldn't look at those issues as a reason to complain. And I'm not saying where where issues exist, you shouldn't bring them to light. You shouldn't try to make it better. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about an attitude here of always trying to find the fault, of always looking for a reason to have an excuse to not serve, to not sacrifice, to not love. That's what I'm talking about. Don't mix me up. But instead, look at these as opportunities to make it better. Look at it as an opportunity to fix it. Why am I saying that? Because if you're willing to die for me, you should be able to help me build something that I don't already have. I was talking to one of the the young people in between service, and I was talking about how a lot of people... Look for community as we should, especially in the Christian faith. They want community. They want fellowship. They want the church that they go to to have a sense of community, a sense of real closeness with people. But here's the problem we want to meet that in place, we want it already there. The problem with that is, Scripture doesn't teach us to go and find communities, Te- Scripture teaches us to build community. Read your Bible, check it out. So you hop all around, oh, ain't you no know, community, there ain't no community, you ain't no know, because you ain't bill it yet. See, everybody want the perks, but nobody want work. Community takes work. Did I lie? All right then. If it's missing, then bill it. If it's missing, then do it. If it's missing, then bring it. Because complaining ain't never built nothing yet. I'm not saying don't bring things to the attention of leadership. I'm not saying, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying check your attitudes. I'm talking to me too, don't get confused. I'm saying check your attitude because we all have preferences. I have preferences. You think because I'm part of the leadership I don't have preferences? You think I want to wear a jacket every Sunday? Y'all you, you really think that's choice, right? Not yet, not yet. (laughs) I'm serious, man. But guess what, like I told the early service, from the first day I came to the Evangelistic Temple, I had known in my spirit that I belong here. I had known that. There wasn't a doubt in my mind, but I also knew that the mission of this church was bigger and beyond me. So what does it take for me to wear a jacket for an hour? No, I don't prefer it. And yes, I make that known. But at the end of the day, there's a mission bigger than my jacket that has to be accomplished. And if my jacket is a distraction, then I just wear the jacket so it's not a distraction. Maybe one day I won't have to wear a jacket. Praise the Lord. But until then, until then i can pick this up from the cleaners spray some cologne on it two on the front two on the back and i wearing this jacket because i understand that there are things that are bigger than my preferences there's a mission that's bigger than whether i prefer the room to be blue or white It's bigger than whether the communion juice is white or red, it's (laughs) It's bigger than that man. Are we willing, are we willing, right, to make our preferences known and if it's not adjusted to our liking right away, are we willing to still work towards the mission that is bigger than our preferences? That's all I'm asking. I'm asking that if your group isn't all you want it to be, are you willing to still come and then participate in a way to make it what you want it to be? Are you willing, that's that's all I'm asking. Because see, when it comes to church, I always say it, we we treat church unfairly. Church isn't what we want, so we walk away. Yet we go back to Wendy's every week even though they keep messing up our order. We don't stop going. We try and we try and we try. Can I please have no pickles? And when you get your sandwich, God knows you can have pickles on that. <laughs> You're laughing cause I telling the truth. We didn't never stop going to KFC cause the bread was burnt up. And the bread always burnt up. But you know what we could say we could give them another chance. And we treat the church unfair. When it comes to the church, we don't want to give the church another chance. We don't want to help build nothing. We don't want it to be perfect or we walk away. That's unfair. That ain't fair. What I'm saying is instead of like walking away from the groups, join them and be the change you want to see. Let me give an example. You see Brother John up there? Brother John came into my office and he said he wanted to be a part of youth ministry. And we had a, a good little talk. And Brother John told me everything that he taught was wrong with regards to the youth ministry and the church. We had a very nice conversation. And after that conversation, Brother John joined the youth ministry. You see what happened there? Right, Brother John? And guess what Brother John tries to do every time he is in youth ministry? Everything that he said that he thought was wrong in my office, he works towards that. I could deal with that. could deal with that that's what I'm saying that's what we should be is it going to be hard? oh you better believe it you might even get rejected a couple of times your idea mightn't get used the first time your preference of persons to do certain things mightn't be what happens you might ask to do certain things and people might tell you you ain't ready yet But is that bigger than the, the mission that's at hand? That's all my question is. Is it bigger than the mission that is at hand? If the answer is no, then we gotta check ourselves. Here's why. Here's why we gotta check ourselves. The church is not Costco. The church is a community. The church is not Costco. What do you mean, PK, what this boy talking about again? I never understand what he's been talking about. Let me explain to you. When you go to Costco, you go in, they welcome you, they give you your trolley, you walk around, you probably started the produce because the produce is usually the first part, right? And you squeeze the lemons, you smell the pineapples, you knock on the, on the cantaloupe, oh that's a good one. You go throughout the store and you pick everything you want in the amount you want, in the brand that you want, and everything you don't want, you leave it. That's not how church works. That's how Costco works. Church is a community. So you don't come to shop, you come to serve. The reason some of y'all are unsatisfied with church is because you're here for the wrong reason. you here to shop. Wrong place, 17 Shop. cross the street. And this attitude of consumerism is distracting us from the mission that is at hand. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't, I, I'm not saying that you should be a slave to church. I don't want you being here every week, forsaking your family. I don't want you following people blindly. This ain't a cult. Right. All right? I don't want no cultish behavior. That's why I don't even let people too close to me. <laughs> You're following me too much. No, don't follow me. Follow Christ. Don't follow me. You're too close. Six feet. Back up. <laughs> So that's that's not what I'm advocating for. And I'm not even saying that you need to adjust to some man's standard. Because here's what I believe. I don't believe God wants to strip us of our individuality. I believe he wants to strip us of our individualism. And there's a difference. Let me tell you what it is. Individuality refers to all of the characteristics that make a person unique. God doesn't want to strip me of what makes me me. Here's why. Here's why he doesn't want to do that. Because I'm not Pastor Cash. I'm, I'm not. I, I can't be. I ain't that good looking. I can't. I try, Pastor. I tell the baba when he say what you want? I say give me a Pastor Cash. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is, when Pastor Cash gets to the mic, well, let me say this. Everybody knows that very often I tell jokes in my sermon. But let me, let me clear the air on this. I don't tell jokes to entertain you. Let me tell you why I tell jokes. Because I've come to realize that no matter, you could preach until your throat dry. If people inhale hear you, there's no actual transformation. So what a joke allows me to do is to get, especially the younger people, their attention. And if I could get them for 10 minutes, for the next 10 minutes, then i give them Jesus. And here's where individuality comes in. When Pastor Cash comes up here, there is a certain presence and power that he brings with him. In his voice, in his aura, in his cadence. That's something that I don't have. It engages people. When Pastor Dave comes up here, he's known as the intellectual. So it's like watching the church version of National Geographic. (laughs) So it engages you on that level. When Pastor Brad comes, he has his charisma. That I don't have them things. And so I gotta use with God, give me, and that's jokes. So he don't want to take that away from me, he wants to use it to advance the kingdom and bring glory to him. But he does want to strip me of my individualism which is a set of beliefs, ideas, and practices and assumptions that emphasize the liberty and autonomy of individuals. That is everything that is the opposite of Christian community. It's the me-first attitude. It's the me-only attitude. We, we can't do that. We, can't, we, we, we have to stop. We have, to, we have to be at a place where we're willing to pray for our church, where we're willing to sacrifice for our church, where we're willing to serve for our church. And when I say that, usually a question comes out of that, which is a pretty um, um, okay question. I don't mind having it, and so I'll answer it for you. The question usually is, then what is my church going to do for me? Fair enough. Let me answer that for you. The church is the people. So if we all have the same mindset, if we all come saying that we are willing to pray for and with people, we are willing to do the hard thing so that other people can gain, we are willing to sacrifice whatever it takes for the other person, if we all have that attitude, then we all get service. We all get to be on the receiving end of that at some point, and it not be about us but instead it'd be about Jesus Christ and the mission that is at hand. That's what your church can do for you. What I'm saying to you, if you don't get anything else, here's what I'm saying to you, you belong. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what you look like, black, white, all of that, it doesn't matter, rich, poor, you belong. What I'm also saying is the church is so much bigger than you, it is so much more beyond just you, but the church is not the same without you. You matter, you just ain't in charge. If I lose my big toe, I could still be able to work. But it's just certain things I won't be able to do as effectively, as if I had it. I'm saying your church needs you. I'm not even talking about organizationally. I'm talking about the people that are around you. They need you. They need what you have. Let me tell you why. Because the same way God has given you a mission, a burning in your heart to do certain things, and be, is given, he's given it to them too. But guess what, he's put the gifts that they need in you to get it done. I can only go so far. This is why I have a team. I've said this before and some of y'all still don't believe me. I can understand why, but I'm not perfect. There are things that I lack. I'm not the, the, the most creative person in the world, I'm not the most organized, and so I surround myself with people who are, who are very organized and full of ideas. They don't intimidate me, they compliment me. I am scared of them. Let me tell you why I am scared, because God called me. And I am confident that God called me. So whatever God calls me to, if I remain faithful, it will be for me. Nobody can take that from me. God have a calling for them. I can't watch their calling and worry about if they could take mine. My mission is to do what God called me to do and help them on theirs too. And if that means in whatever sense we measure in that day pass me, then glory be to God. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, let's focus on the bigger mission that students and adults is like. And, and let's put our preferences aside for the, for the goal of the bigger mission. Not aside as if they don't matter, but don't allow these small things to distract us. I told the early service and I'm going to say it to you and I want you to hear me good because it's important. I hate chocolate ice cream. And I don't understand how someone could invent something so gross. And if that wasn't bad enough, sell it to people. Something is wrong with people. But here's the thing. As much as I hate chocolate ice cream, I don't hate people who like chocolate ice cream. So you could hate chocolate ice cream and we could still evangelize together, Brother Francis. You could love chocolate ice cream, Brother Mike, and we could still do altar ministry together. Ricky, you could like chocolate ice cream, and we could still do youth ministry together. (laughs) All right then, vanilla ice cream. Because the glory of God is bigger than my preference in ice cream. And if we are not mature enough to the point where we can have different preferences but still walk together to accomplish what God wants us, then we have issues. But I believe, I believe we are coming to a place where in order to see what we want to see, this revival that we've been praying about, we've got to grow up and put these petty stuff aside and understand that we are not here to fight each other. We have an enemy that is common to both of us and we will never be wed God wants us to be, how God wants us to be, if we are infighting because a house divided against itself cannot stand, but if we could just get it together, if we could come to a place where you could want the room blue, I could want it yellow, and pastor painted white, and we're still okay, then we could be all right. It's so much bigger than me. If I drop down there tomorrow, guess what? In due season, someone else could take my place. And that's okay. But until I drop down there, whether I have to wear this jacket or not, I'm going to show up every day and be faithful to what God has called me to do with my jacket on or my jacket off. Because this is so much bigger than me. Stand for me.